TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. And welcome back to Overnight America. I um I, I do want to talk a little bit more about the stimulus. Joining us later in the hour would be an attorney. He's a clinical professor of law at SMU. His name is Eric C- uh, Sodua. And I think that the idea of pardoning your family if you're Donald Trump or even the potential of pardoning yourself is a big law question because <laughs> you don't, you're not used to seeing those things. So uh, I, I said his name wrong. Eric Sadio uh, is going to join us in about a what half hour or so. So join us for that conversation. How many other names can I mess up between now and then? I take a um, take a little tablet out, take a pen out, paper, things like that, and write down every time I mispronounce a name. We'll tallied up at the end of the hour and see where that number sits over under is at 10 and a half right now mitch mcconnell has a revised coronavirus stimulus plan out there and it's different than what is being proposed for the 908 billion dollars from the quote-unquote bipartisan effort the bipartisan effort meaning that they want to try to infuse some money to extend the paycheck protection subsidies another loan of business uh, loans for hard-hit businesses you're going to see instead of the $600 a week benefit drop down to 300 a week, state and local governments would receive $160 billion. There's money for vaccines, things like that. What you don't see in this bill is the individual paychecks that were going out before. Now, the first time they did this and they spent trillions and trillions and trillions were for the individual to get $1,200. If you have a dependent that's a child under a certain age, you get 500 per dependent. And that was a lot of money to go out there. And they got the money out fairly quickly. I remember I was just surprised how many weeks it took. It was just a matter of a couple of weeks. Now, this has been floated around, and this is going out. And you even heard that clip from Mitt Romney talking about all of the different relief that needs to be done before there's another potential government shutdown, which is looming in about 10 days from now, December 11th. I don't like borrowing money. I don't like spending money we don't have. But the time to borrow money... Maybe the only time to borrow money is when there's a crisis. And this is a crisis. We want to help people at this particular time. All right. So here are the 10 senators that were interested in this. Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia. Susan Collins, a Republican from Maine. Bill Cassidy from Louisiana. Lisa Murkowski from Alaska. Mitt Romney from Utah. Uh, Maggie Hassan from New Hampshire. 
Janine Shahan, Shaheen, excuse me, from New Hampshire, Angus King from Maine, and I think that's the senators that signed off on it. There's 10 altogether. So the Republicans wanted to put, I think, $2 trillion together. The Democrats wanted $3 trillion, something like that. So there, this is a lot skinnier than the even the two versions that were put up there. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I know when people hear about the stimulus package, the first thing they think is, how much money am I going to get on this one, right? Well, here's what Mitch McConnell basically came out and said. Nah, you know, we still have... We still have some time. As I've said repeatedly, we have this government for the next three weeks for sure. And what I'm focusing on is trying to accomplish as much as we can during this three-week period, which requires dealing with the government that we have right now. The future will take care of itself. As I've said repeatedly, we're going to go through these processes. The Electoral College is going to meet <laughs> December the 14th. There'll be an inauguration January 20th. Right now, and McConnell is right now. I know it sounded like I was the one that was doing that quote, but actually it was Mitch McConnell. I'm I I sound just like him. You're right. Oh boy. So, <laughs> and the text that came in, your Mitch McConnell sounds like a Marlon Brando mid ham sandwich. That's kind of what I'm going for. Or from Mitch McConnell, he's got that draw. Remember, he's from Kentucky, and I I can't quite do it exactly like Mitch McConnell, but it's close enough through the beauty of AM radio that I may be able to hide some of my blemishes in that impersonation. So Mitch McConnell comes out and says this, you know, oh, we've still got time and our side of the Senate while we work through this. So I think that the plan that the president would sign is not the $908 billion. I think he wants a more robust plan. So now there's a new GOP coronavirus stimulus plan that has been circulating around. And this is what you start to see it uh, as this plan. So let me go down the list. And really, I want to ask you, what would you like to see? Would you like to see a skinny plan, a robust plan, a medium plan, or no plan right now? 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. It's a draft, but here's what the draft that came out today looks like. $332 billion for small business relief. That's part of that is the $257 billion for paycheck protection. Okay, that's the the $300 a week for losing your job. Uh, $10 billion treasury loan to the United States Postal Service. Ugh. This is something I thought the Republicans were in agreement with. Enough with funding and giving money to the Postal Service. That, that was something they really struggled with before the election, and now it's after, and it looks like the Republicans are ready to do that. $105 billion to help get students back into school. Okay, that's good. $16 billion for testing, contract tra- uh, contact tracing, and surveillance. Great. <laughs> $16 billion to spy on you. Okay. $31 billion in vaccine therapeutic uh, vaccine distribution and grants to state stockpile. So it looks like $31 billion goes into place. That's on top of the investment that they've already made inside of these vaccines, which would indicate one of the questions we got earlier was who's going to be paying for all of this. You know, there is an expert that tracks all of the different things that they said would be covered for the coronavirus. And all of a sudden they get a giant bill from their healthcare provider when things should have been covered. You know, I, I think that your guard has to be up when they say it's all for free. But then next thing you know, they stick you with a big bill. I think that really needs to be absolutely clear that that can't happen. But if the government's going to be paying for all of these vaccines and the distribution of it, it sounds like they just want to get it as fast as possible. Thus, they'll pay for it. Uh, 20 billion in additional farm assistance, 500 million in federal assistance for fisheries, uh, 5 billion 
to directly support child care providers. This is another one that you would normally not hear a Republican talk about. Hey, we're going to give money to the post office and child care providers. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said she spoke with uh, Secretary Mnuchin about bipartisan path. First talk since October 26. Pelosi said any stimulus plan must ensure vaccine is free. Uh, I think both parties are fine with that. The other thing that you're not seeing on the table right now is the individual paycheck, right? They're not giving you the 1200 at least as part of this plan. I wonder if that's going to be a part of it or not. Big questions. So to me, this seems like it's a more beefed up bipartisan plan. So it looks like the package that those senators, including Romney and Murkowski and Manchin and Susan Collins, and then put together, it seems like it, this is basically it, except they jammed more stuff into it. So if you're just not going to, if I mean, honestly, if you're not going to do the individual portion of it, where you're handing out checks to everyone like you did the first time around, then might as well go with the lower 900 and whatever billion dollar package as opposed to, you know, two trillion. Go go a little bit less on this. I don't know. What do you think? 314-436-7900. That's the very latest. This was drafted today, and I'm looking through a rough draft of it. These are the different targeted areas that they're going to try to hit. The health care is interesting. The child care, I should say. Uh, provision provides two years of tax credits for contributions to scholarships, granting organizations. Um, wow. So they were going to put scholarships together as part of this. How does that fight COVID? I don't get it. This seems like there's a lot of things in there that are questionable. This is Overnight America KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. So let's see. Chicago Tribune. Second stimulus check update. Top Senate Republican Mitch McConnell now says he's sticking to scaled back COVID bill relief. I think that's the one that the president may have indicated that he would sign. But the thing is that it's not really included with any individual check. And I think that's what a lot of most people were looking for. Okay, what am I going to get out of it? I know businesses are looking for other things. If you're unemployed still or having a hard time finding a job, you would get, what, 300 per week as opposed to 600? Is that going to be enough to try to make up all the back rent that you owe if you can't still find a job? It's been difficult. And I have neighbors and I've talked to people that have lost their job during this time. And it's pretty frustrating because on the onset, you may have been getting 600 a week. And that was a lot of money. For some people, it might have been more than what they would have been making if they were working a job just naturally. So it was appealing to them to stay on it as long as possible. And because of that, the money ran out fairly quickly. And then you have someone that may have had a job, but the market didn't recover in the way that the company hoped. And then they get let go. They had to make a tough decision or whatever. And then they go and there's no money left for them to claim when it came to those individual checks because all of it was already gone. And I thought, man, there was that money just went so quick. I think that dropping it down to 300 is probably a much better thing to handle. I think there should be a cap on how much money you can take from that fund. So let's say you've been sitting on that 600 and you were taking advantage of it all since the beginning and you still don't have a job, then maybe it's best that, well, uh, you leave the money that's in that fund for those that may not have received any of that to begin with from the beginning. Because um, ultimately speaking, the goal is to try to get you back to work as opposed to give you the, the incentive not to work. And then we run into the problem that by the end of the year, we may even see mass evictions. So there is a federal moratorium on these evictions, meaning that they cannot kick you out. I think some people that may be getting eviction notices, um, they can do that. I mean, you could go through the process of eviction. And if you're a landlord, maybe someone's back on rent and say, we want you out. 
thing is, they can't actually physically remove you or make you leave that residence as that federal guideline is still in place. Well, let's say December 31st turns to January 1st and those regulations end. All of a sudden, if there's no other extra federal protections that's put in place or there's not another extension of this by the CDC or anything else, then there's going to be a lot of people that'll be packing their bags and getting out unless they can pay all the back rent. And then what's their responsibilities and how are their court going to handle this? There's a lot of questions here. And then think of all the other lawsuits that could be coming in different services that were denied to people that they were paying for. And then they don't feel like they should have to pay for it anymore because, Hey, they weren't allowed to use that service or whatever it is. There's all kinds in schools and student loans and all these other problems. Hey, you can't go think of all the benefits of going to a university. You're paying a ton of money and then you can't actually go to the university. There, there was questions about those and some that wouldn't allow you to go into in person. I mean, uh, there's, there's a million legal issues that are going to come up from all of this, which I know we're going to have to settle at some point. But what we're looking at is this one thing. The targeted relief is what the GOP is trying to push right now. Mitch McConnell being on the forefront of that. And um, I, they're just trying to work through it. Here's Mitch McConnell again. Obviously, it does require bipartisan support to get out of the Congress, but it requires a presidential signature. And this government is in place for sure for the next month. And I think the place to start is, are we actually making a law or are we just making a point? One other thing that I think should be included in the stimulus package is that everybody listens to Overnight America on X, the uh, host there, Ryan Recker, is the best radio host in the country. We're going to sign that into law. Wow, Mitch McConnell, what a great clip from Mitch McConnell there. I didn't realize he listened to the show. That's wonderful. Thank you, Mitch McConnell. Oh, we're going to have to get him on sometime. I didn't realize he was such a big fan. So the draft outlines all the di- <laughs> all the different small business relief. Please, everyone, stop shaking your head. If you can stop rolling your eyes, too, that would be nice. Joe Biden indicated that even if nothing is done or even if the GOP or Mitch McConnell gets the package that they wanted done, that, hey, just wait, wait till I'm in office and wait till the Democrats have some more power. We'll just do something anyway. Right now, the full Congress should come together and pass a robust package for relief to address these urgent needs. But any package passed in a lame duck session is likely to be at best just a start. Robust needs. Do we have robust needs? This is what I've noticed. The robust needs are those of the businesses that want to just be able to have a shot at making a living. And the robust needs are those that are being taken away from those business owners who are being told they can't welcome customers into their business. We can look at St. Louis County right now, and they have options to eat in the residents there, have all kinds of places to go. If they want to go to the city, they want to go to St. Charles, whatever it is, they have options. As long as it's not in the county and that is killing businesses and you see those different businesses getting these orders delivered to them today where they have to close things down. It is an absolute shame that this is happening to those restaurants in the county. And now all of a sudden we have uh, Joe Biden saying we need robust help, right? We need to get out there with a robust package. This is how you help. You you make it so that these people can do business and help themselves. What are we going to do when we just add an extra two, three, four trillion back onto the back end of what we're, what is already a massive deficit that the country is running? Do we even have a plan to try to address this in the future? Of course we don't. There is no plan. Yeah, you know, at least with um, Donald Trump, 
I hate that we had to spend all this money, but it was a necessity, at least in the onset, to do this. And they were slow to put a second one together, mostly because I think we wanted to wait and see what this recovery would look like and what would be necessary as opposed to just passing a similar uh, stimulus package right after the fact, because we didn't want to have to push further into debt than we actually needed. But we got to do something. I know we do. What's going to happen when Joe Biden gets in there when he is administration? Let's say they have the power. Oh, we're going to forgive student loans because that's the way you fight COVID. Give me a break. You, you let people make a living. That's how you do it. Oh, we're going to raise this and we're going to do this and we're going to pay this off and we're going to try Biden care and we're going to blah, blah, blah. So you, you talk about the debt that we already have as a country, and then you're looking at it going in the direction that is the wrong direction, which is no end in sight when it comes to spending and spending and spending. So you got to put some checks and balances in here. And there, it doesn't look like there's going to be much of that in the future. It's very concerning to a lot of people, including myself. Um, what are we going to hear? Joe Biden jokes about Janet Yellen. I haven't listened to this clip yet. Let's try it. Janet will be, be the first woman to hold this office. We might have to uh, ask uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote the musical about the first Secretary of Treasury, Hamilton, to write another musical about the first woman Secretary of the Treasury, Yellen. So that's what I'm working on right now, Janet. <laughs> yeah, boy. Okay, so we're going <laughs> to... So how many staff writers had to come up with that zinger there? Oh, boy. Yikesy, 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 yikesy. I think that with the relief bill that's coming through, I thought I had a a clip from Nancy Pelosi. I guess I don't. Maybe I was mistaken. But the the idea that they're still going to work on this, I don't know what they're going to come up with together. Who knows what they'll come up with? It, there may be a bunch of nothing that they come up with together. There could be nothing that happens here. I think the thing that concerns me the most is that we're going to run into some pretty serious issues when it comes to evictions at the start of the year if it's not extended out. But at the same time, what are you going to do? You're just going to keep kicking that can down the road? The ones that can't afford the rent and they haven't paid rent for the past several months, are they just going to magically come up with this money? Or are you going to have to put a, a third stimulus together just to help pay for that and try to make up some of the lost money that the individuals weren't paying on that? And then again, are people naturally just taking advantage or the federal law that in just you know purposely not paying, knowing that they can't get out, get kicked out, essentially squatting on a rental property, waiting for the moment to go out, and then they're just going to play their chances of getting sued or whatever in court, or who knows what goes on after that. I don't know. It just there's so many things that are just messes waiting to happen. It feels like there's just these balloons that are hanging over everyone's head, just waiting to get popped. You don't know when it's going to happen. Joining us in a moment is a clinical professor of law at SMU. There was this idea the other day that was floated by Sean Hannity. Hey, why don't you just pardon your family, Donald Trump? And while you're at it, pardon yourself. Rudy Giuliani, given the uh, at least there was a report and they're denying it. But still, uh, is there going to be other people close to Donald Trump that will get a pardon? So we talked to a uh, attorney on that. Eric Sadio is going to join us next on Overnight America KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.
After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. News Radio 1120 KMOX. The voice of the Cardinals. Joining us now is an attorney, also a clinical professor of law at SMU, to discuss some of the headlines that are going on regarding pardons in President Trump, as he has just a couple of months left before he leaves office. Joining us now is that attorney, Eric Sedillo. Thank you for coming on to KMOX. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Ryan. So the idea, came, I think, was last night on Sean Hannity's program, but even today, Rudy Giuliani, apparently the headline on the New York Times is that they've discussed the possibility of what Donald Trump could do regarding pardons with his family and possibly even himself. And it's kind of an interesting idea. Um, I'm curious what you think, legally speaking, uh, is this even possible for a sitting president to do this, let's say, to himself on the way out of office? Yeah, it's certainly possible. Uh, It's kind of unprecedented to have a a self-pardon by a president. It's never been done before. Uh, So it'd be a situation that could actually kind of meet with some constitutional problems. I think probably a safer bet for the president would be to allow uh, Mike Pence to uh, become uh, perhaps president for, for a short period of time, allowing for a pardon from him. That would that would uh, keep him from any constitutional questions. The Constitution does provide for the granting of pardons, and the word grant in the Constitution uh, could be problematic for the president because you can't really grant something to yourself in that situation, usually granting to a third party. So, you know, a strict construction, a strict reading of the Constitution might be problematic uh, for the president in a self-pardon, but certainly he has the ability. It's pretty unfettered in terms of uh, the uh, grant of pardons to others. And I think we're going to see a lot of that uh, over the next few weeks in terms of uh, the pardons. And, you know, that's with every every presidency. We see, uh, you know, presidents when they're, they're leaving for their final term. Uh, granting those pardons left and right as they're as they're leaving office. What's interesting about this is that some people even floated the idea of him rerunning for office in 2024, and I don't like the idea personally. Um, even though I voted for Donald Trump and I wanted to see him become reelected, but I think, well, no. W- once it's done, it's done. I feel, and I think, well, if you're going to do this and then try to come back a couple of years later, that's going to be a- an idea that's pretty much rejected by a lot of people. I- I'm sure there's a lot of Republicans that would hate seeing that. So I, I wonder if if you're looking towards the future and maybe he wants to kick the tires again in the future, probably pardoning yourself is not the best political move. I'm guessing. Well, you know, this is uh, this is Donald Trump. You know, it's a situation where you know he's just kind of shown you know, over the last four years that he's uh, truly unconventional in, in the way he approaches things. I don't think with his base it would be as problematic as, as perhaps you know the political liability behind it as it would to others. Uh, you, know, as, you know, especially if he maintains that uh, you know a witch hunt, which he continually did you know during the uh, the impeachment proceedings. Uh, that he needs to do this so that he isn't prosecuted. I think, uh, of course, a number of his uh, supporters would uh, uh, adhere to that and, and uh, not hold it against him. 
Uh, with Donald Trump, you either love him or hate him. So it's a situation where I don't think politically it would be as problematic, again, as, as it might be to uh, to others. Yeah, I understand that. I, if you're someone that is a Donald Trump, if you're to put yourself in his shoes for a moment and you feel that over the past three, four years through prosecution, you've been constantly targeted and harassed that way. And even some of the things that come out based on some of the early investigations and the way that they started, really uh, shady to say the least. And you think, okay, do I want to live the rest of my life where people are targeting me nonstop? Um, I would think that at least for, you know, for selfish reasons, he would say, no, I I just don't want to have to fight this forever because we know that they're never going to stop coming at me. Um, But at the same time, I wonder about his family. So when they talk about giving a pardon to people in his administration, like let's say uh, close family members that also worked as part of the administration and did some business on behalf of the United States when it comes to, you know, other foreign nations, uh, pardoning the rest of his family and people that were around him. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't think there's going to be any uh, any issue with that. Again, I think the self-pardon is the only close question of whether or not the president can do it. The president just really has, under the Constitution, a really unfettered ability to provide clemency, of course, one of which is, is the pardon, the power of the pardon. And it would probably be you know, incumbent upon him, if there's any close questions, certainly with, uh, with his son-in-law and, and uh, his daughter, uh, having dealt with you know, certain things uh, you know, across the board during this presidency, that uh, to be on the safe side, he might provide a pardon just to, to ensure that uh, uh, they aren't prosecuted for anything on a federal level. So it would be a situation where he has the ability to do it. And quite honestly, I, I believe that uh, that at least with those two, that that would probably be where where he'd be at the at the end of the day. And quite honestly, I do believe that he probably will pardon or have someone pardon him. Uh, in order to uh, prevent uh, you know, some of the issues that might go forward. And that might be, a, quite honestly, uh, the best thing to do for the country in terms of uh, moving on. Oh, that's interesting. And I, I wonder, too, just when we talk about some of the best things to do for the country, if you're Rudy Giuliani and you were someone that was advising the president, you mentioned something at the start, which is perhaps stepping down to allow a Mike Pence to pardon you. Now, that is something that's pretty unprecedented. If if you're talking about a president self-pardoning, that is even more unprecedented. Right. Yeah. um, Right, absolutely. So the strategy behind that, so why would you go through all that effort? Is it just because you would feel that it would stand up against uh, a challenge in court easier? I think it totally would. Now, the 25th Amendment uh, provides for the president to uh, when he doesn't feel he can discharge his duties to provide the vice president with with the presidential authority, actually becoming the president, we've seen it invoked a couple of times. Presidents go under, you know, for a uh, medical procedure or some other thing. They're going to be, uh, you know, under it for a few hours, and they provide the vice president with the ability to be president. I think that's very easily done. And uh, Pence, of course, might have to deal with the political fallout from something like that. But again, you know, it's a situation that uh, that would be the easiest way, the easiest way in which the president could ensure that, uh, you know, a Justice Department under Biden doesn't go after, uh, you know, a self-pardoning situation. So if we're going to see it, I think that's the way it would probably be. Uh, you mentioned Giuliani. Certainly, I think that's someone who, uh, again, there's a lot of things that perhaps we don't know. Uh, that we haven't seen. So just a, a pardon to be on the safe side, to stop prosecutions, which a pardon can do. You know, we, of course, saw it uh, with uh, Gerald Ford and Richard Nixon. It was pretty all-encompassing, and it, it just covered a period of time. So we may see some of these broad-stroked pardons that just cover periods of time 
uh, from prosecution. And I think that might be the easiest way, kind of gets around the, uh, you know, the assertion that, uh, that they're pleading, you know, kind of liable to whatever commission of crime and just saying, look, we're just going to do this to be on the safe side. Mm. It's going to cover this lengthy period of time and, and we move on. Attorney Eric Sadio joining us, a clinical professor of law at SMU. And when it comes to pardons, I guess um, maybe I'm not as familiar with it, but don't you have to be accused of something first? But you can preemptively pardon yourself and absolve yourself of future crimes? Yeah, that's what it kind of looks like. I mean, there's it's, it, again, this area of the law hasn't really been tested all that much. We haven't seen it historically happen all that much. Something very specific to kind of look at would be, the, of course, the pardon of Richard Nixon. He resigned prior to uh, his finishing his term, and of course Ford became the president, the president of the United States, and, and granted that pardon. And again, it was really open in terms of what it dealt with. So he hadn't been charged with any crimes yet. You know, the possibility may have existed that he would eventually be, but he wasn't charged with any crimes, and that stopped everything. So a pardon similar to that would probably stop everything. You know, in terms of uh, if Mike Pence were to, uh, as president, grant a pardon to uh, Donald Trump. It would probably stop everything uh, from continuing on. But again, uh, you know, the Justice Department would would have some say in terms of whether or not they would fight it to the Supreme Court to see if it was constitutional, the way in which they approached it. And I can almost guarantee that uh, that if he self-pardons, that's going to become an issue. It's going to be one in which that might actually reach the Supreme Court. And there may be a determination made as to whether or not a president can actually self-pardon. So, uh, you know, if I were... Advising the president, I'd probably tell him to take the uh, the vice presidential uh, president route and, and have Pence pardon me. That's interesting. And I'm also curious what you think about the Biden administration. Do you think it is a almost a reasonable idea that their Justice Department may continue to go after Donald Trump or maybe other people after he's out of office? Because it seems for the most part, there's a code of conduct when it comes to former presidents where you don't really go after them, per se. So that w- would be somewhat unprecedented, I believe, too. So do you believe there is reason to believe a a new Justice Department would continue to dive in and prosecute a former president? You know, well, looking at it from from all sides, during the sitting of the president, President Donald Trump hasn't had any investigations, actually any formal investigations against him, aside from the impeachment, of course. There hasn't been an investigation because you cannot investigate a sitting president. You can't indict and you can't, uh, you know, review that, can't really look into it. So quite honestly, we don't know if there's, uh, you know, anything that could be even, you know, we're we're talking about in the hypothetical because we don't know anything that would be there. But potentially, if there could be, uh, you know, that would be something that uh, Biden would have to look at in terms of whether or not he felt there was enough evidence or support for it to to go after Trump. So, uh, you know, it's a situation where you'd have to allow the facts to kind of come into uh, fruition and see if uh, if there'd be the possibility of that actually happening. Wow. What a interesting possibility. So I wanted yeah. to ask you, um, if people wanted to learn more about you, the things you're doing, are you on social media? Any websites people can look up? Sure, they can look me up uh, on on Facebook or Instagram, and they can just look up my name, Eric Cedillo, C-E-D-I-L-L-O, and or go to my website at cedillolaw.com, C-E-D-I-L-L-O-L-A-W.com. So what kind of law do you practice? I primarily represent individuals who've, who've uh, been injured uh, in, in accidents as well as immigration. I've got a few other attorneys in my office that do a more general practice. Uh, and of course, I am a clinical professor over at SMU, and, and we uh, we actually go into some of the uh, detention centers and assist uh, folks with some of their uh, you know asylum claims, things of that nature. 
Oh, how about that? When you see all of these things going on, headlines like this, is it something that um, you would talk to your students about? What's in the news? Certainly, certainly. These are uh, <laughs> these are law students getting ready to to begin their uh, lifelong practice of law, and and uh, they usually approach me, and we make it a uh, uh, you know big thing. Uh, this has been a, there's been a lot of uh, you know legal analysis going on the past few weeks, and uh, it's very exciting for uh, for folks to see if you're if you're in the Yeah, I'm not sure how long you've been teaching, or maybe you can go back and think about the days that you were a student. But it seems like there's an awful lot you can use as examples anymore, case examples, because there's so much going on. <laughs> <laughs> That's certainly true. Yeah, I've been there for about uh, 14, 15 years now at SMU. And, and uh, these are some incredibly exciting times that we're living in, you know, from a, certainly a legal perspective. And I think they're going to get more exciting over the next few weeks. We'll see how they uh, <laughs> they all play out. A attorney, also a clinical professor of law at SMU, Eric Sadio. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on Overnight America. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And he joins us on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line on Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. And Overnight America is up until midnight, and then I sleep with the radio on, probably like you too. I don't know if you saw this last week. I kind of missed it, but Eric Bowling, who was on Fox News for a while, he was on The Five. I think he had his own show. He's been off the network for a couple of years, probably two or three, maybe two years. He has his own show now. He calls America This Week. He's been doing some pretty good sit-down interviews. There's a few of them that stand out as being significant. He's interviewed the president just recently. And then he also had a sit-down with Brett Favre, the former quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Um, He moved around after that. Was it the Jets? And then the Vikings he played for? Mostly known for his work in Green Bay. Brett Favre, strong arm on him. Man, he could throw some picks, but he he had an arm on him like no one else. Let's see. He holds the all-time record of 297 regular season consecutive starts. Wow. Uh, It's a lot. And recently he got into some heat for what he said. And part of this interview is it. I watched, for the most part, the start of the interview. And then I'd fast forward after, after some time to try to find the controversial part. And I realized that this is just the way we operate anymore. We're constantly looking for what the controversial is. And it's unfortunate because he starts the interview and spends the most time of the interview of this hour-long sit-down, over half of it, I would say, well, at least the start of it, the the most uh, significant part, where he talks about his addiction to opioids, uh, pain, I should say, pain medication. And when he was talking about just the dependency he had on it, he said, I don't remember when it started. Could have been high school, could have been college. But he was taking these pain pills, and he had an addiction to it. And it was a big part of problem for him opening up about this addiction that he had and he spent all this time talking about it and it's amazing that these athletes that you watch all the time and become the biggest names in football or basketball or hockey or baseball or whatever it is they all have issues there's there's so many of them that have issues not all of them open up on them some have different things it might not be pills it could be other things and i thought it was great but the only thing people talk about is the kneeling side of things. They, oh, I want to know what's going on in the NFL. And, you know, Brett Favre speaks out about this. There's two parts of the interview I want to play for you, mostly because these are the two parts people are talking about. But what I would encourage you to do is find Eric Bowling's website 
and watch the start of the interview he had with Brett Favre, where he talks about overcoming his, his addictions and what that meant and how hard it was for him. And good for him to do that and to talk about that and encourage other people to know that there is uh, a way to get out of it. So let's let's fast forward. Uh, Eric was asking him about the NFL and what's going on there. Let me play this clip. When you watch a football game with what's going on with this whole kneeling for the anthem nonsense going on, how does it make you feel? Um, I'm glad I'm not playing um, for a lot of reasons. That's one. I, I, I don't want to be asked questions after a game that have nothing to do with playing. You know, how did you play? How did you feel the team played? You know, th- that's okay. But what do you think about such and such kneeling or standing or how do you feel about that? And it would be, it would be never ending. So I'm glad I don't have to, to deal with that. Um, it's a good answer. I'm glad I don't have to deal with that. There, so much has changed. We have to deal with so much anymore. Everything you go, oh, we got, and even in radio in general, and as a talk show, it feels like sometimes there's a controversial something going on and they want your hot take and whatever. And people message you on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is. And they, they feel like you have to comment on every single thing that's out there. You don't have to. I feel like this is good to hear the way Brett Favre is handling this because it's not a bad way to do it. His answer is, I'm glad I don't have to deal with that stuff anymore because I'm not in it. <laughs> you know, I, I think like with Drew Brees, when he, he, he said his comments at first, they stood because his grandfather and great-grandfather, thank you. And, and Drew said that I'm not going to kneel during the anthem. Got a lot of blowback. I, and I don't think he's wrong. Uh, I'm not saying um, Michael Thomas is wrong. If he wants to kneel for his cause, I think Drew stated clearly what he was standing for. Uh, you know, so I'm not saying who's right or wrong. But then Drew walked him back, and I think, look, this cancel culture. This is how, this is how they get you. You do something they don't like, and then they go after you. And they wait and see the reaction. And the ones that apologize and walk back comments, then they just then they pile on. He got piled on. Yeah, when he got he, bullied when he, walked, when he walked it back. He got bullied. There's no no question about it. And um, and he wasn't wrong. Uh, look, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed in this country in this world. Yeah, I like it. He said he got bullied, and that's exactly what happened to Drew Brees. So we fast forward to the part of the interview where the portion of an interview that Eric Bowling had with President Trump included a question from Brett Favre, a remote video question, which, you know, by the way, at the start of the presidency, during the White House press briefings, they actually accepted video submissions from journalists and I guess commentators or whatever it was that wanted to ask a question to the administration remotely. Yeah, they they used remember they did that at the start of the administration. I wish they would have kept doing that. That was kind of a cool little feature. All right. But here's where you can actually hear what I think is a great response from Brett Favre in all of this, and it has to do with the question he asked the president and the reaction he got from it. You uh, sent in a video question to President Trump. I had a town hall with President Trump a couple of weeks ago, and you sent in a video question. Hello, Mr. President. My question is, the NBA and the NFL are struggling with lower ratings as fans clearly do not want political messaging mixed with their sports. So how should the leagues 
support and promote an anti-racism position without becoming political and alienating fans. That got a lot of pickup. I got surprising amount of pickup. A lot of people were oh, sports magazines, media companies were calling, you know, writing, clipping the, the clip and playing them. Did you, did you get a lot of heat for that? All right. So before we play the answer, this is great because, yes, in a world anymore, you can't do or say anything without getting heat if you're a person of prominence. Luckily, doing a radio show in St. Louis, not quite at that level of prominence yet. <laughs> so I'm not at the Brett Favre level because I feel like a lot of the times when we talk about controversial issues, um, it always draws people that are looking for problems. They, they're going around looking for issues. They're they're not issues. They're just looking for things that would be an issue, and then they make it an issue in order to try to shame you or bully you or whatever it is. That's probably a good way to put it. So Brett Favre says, you know, fans, they don't like mixing politics and these political messages with their sports. They just want the sport. They're getting tired of this. There's a lot of people that are tired of this. And then what happens after that? Brett Favre says that thing, asks the question, there's real issues that need to be addressed. How do we address those without uh, alienating the uh, the fans of the game? So here's what Brett Favre, when asked about, did you get any blowback from that comment? I don't know. To be honest with you, I, I, I don't know. I don't pay attention. I'm sure there was some. There was probably more bad. The good, the good, the people that think it's good, don't comment. Yeah, for every hundred bad comments, there's one. Hey, you know, great job. But most people who thought or liked it or really could care less, whether it was me or John Elway who asked the question, thought it was a fair question, thought it was a good question. They don't care. They're not commenting. They're not, they're not taking time out of their day to post a comment, hoping I read it. <laughs> good for Brett Favre. But all the haters out there, I mean, they can't wait to get on their phones. But I don't pay attention to it, to be honest with you. I, I got a bulldozer to ride. <laughs> That's so good. I don't pay attention to it, man. I got a bulldozer to ride. Way to go, Brett Favre. I think that's a great way to approach it. You know, it's uh, easy to remove yourself from the cesspool that is internet comment sections. It's so easy to do that and realize that, you know, people very rarely would do it face to face. You know, they get that courage online when they're anonymous or whatever it is. Another hour of Overnight America coming up on KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device. Credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.